strong and faithful hand. Everything I will give thanks to you. I'll just trust your perfect plan when I don't know what to do.
Amen. Well, I invite you to open your Bible with me to Ephesians 6. And uh, this summer we, we began a journey uh, through the scriptures on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. I had a, I had a buddy uh, about a year or so ago say that uh, he thought that we as Baptists had redefined the Trinity. I said, well, so explain that to me. He said, well, we believe in God the Father and we believe in Jesus the Son and sometimes I think we as Baptists then believe in his word, the scriptures, but we've left out the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and we're passionate about doctrine, orthodoxy, truth, which is good, and, but the scriptures say that the letter of the law, orthodoxy, and the scriptures, apart from the spirit, kill. It's dead, it's lifeless. And uh, so I've thought deeply about what Greg said to me about that, and certainly uh, never let that be said about you and I. We believe strongly in the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. So we've been going through a journey on that, and I want to finish this series this morning. My aim next Sunday is to begin a series from the Old Testament. We're going to go through the book of Ruth. And so if you have your Bible and you want to begin reading ahead of time, you can do that. So uh, let's... Uh, Look at Ephesians 6. The, the subject, most of you are familiar with this. This is about spiritual warfare. And we're going to see at the very end of this the importance of prayer. Uh, and he has some alls here. Four times in verse 18, he talks about all prayer. And, and uh, so we're going to look at these alls of prayer that he, he lists there for us. And so I invite you to read with me Ephesians 6. And, and I'm going to go back and cover some ground. So I want to ask you to do two things with me today. One is that you read the text with me, and I hope that you bring your Bible with you every week. And, uh, and then the second, after we read the text, I'd like you to keep it open because we're going to go through some things that we've seen previously uh, over the last few weeks from the book of Ephesians. So Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, realms. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God and this is where I want to focus today praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. 
that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. We pray with you. Father, in these next few minutes, we, we ask you to give us ears to hear your spirit. We pray that our wills would be soft, pliable. God, that we would respond to you in however you're calling, whatever you're saying to us today. That you would help us to see the great blessing and power, privilege of prayer, being able to commune with you, we pray. Bless your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, just to reset the context a little bit. So, Paul, verse 1, chapter 1, I, Paul, the apostle, writes to the Ephesians. And in the first three chapters, it's, it's full of indicatives, which means it's full of facts. And these first three chapters of the book of Ephesians really drive home one point. And it's all about the gospel. Three, just all doctrinal points, truths about the gospel. Who God is, what he's done for us through his grace, through his mercy, through the person of and the work of Christ. And so you... If you study those three chapters, there's one, that's the one main point of all three chapters. And so he talks about redemption and forgiveness that we had through his blood and how we've been adopted and how he's called us and chosen us and made us heirs and how he's positioned us, seated us with Christ in heavenly places. And so it's just three tra- chapters, all of these indicatives about the gospel, which is uh, one of the patterns that Paul uh, makes use of as he writes the epistles. He's, he always um, takes them back to the gospel. And so when he receives, for example, to, with the church in Corinth, when he receives a letter from them about all the issues they're having in the church, before he begins to address any of those issues, he takes them right back to the gospel. And so we need to be clear on the gospel. By the way, in Ephesians 6.10, this uh, text on spiritual warfare, you, you notice he refers to the, the salvation as the, the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. So you think about a helmet, a motorcycle helmet, football helmet. Uh, see these kids now when they wear bicycles, they ride little kids, they ride by, they have helmets on. The, the neighborhood, I grew up in Michigan, if you would have put on a helmet when I was growing up a little boy, you'd probably been railed out of the neighborhood, you know. But helmets, what do, what do helmets do? Helmets, right, they guard, they protect. Um, and because the mind is, is kind of like the, the, the computer of the body, it's what, what drives everything. And so we as God's people need to be clear on our salvation. The, that helmet needs to be fixed, locked down, strapped in, strapped on. The helmet of salvation. Um, Have you talked to people before and you'll ask them about their relationship with God and and ask them to tell about their journey and are they a Christian? Do they know Christ? And and sometimes people will, they'll give answers and you kind of wonder that that helmet, it's it's not strapped down. And they're not sure whether they're a Christian. 
They don't have any assurance. Of the, and they might say things, well, I, I hope that I'm going to go to heaven. I, I think I will. I try to be a good person. I try to do good things. But none of that saves, right? It's only through the person and the work of Jesus Christ, the cross, the resurrection. That's the gospel. And so Paul is making that clear in these first three chapters. Then, then, starting in chapter 4, he says, now put it into practice. Chapter 4, 1. Now act like you're a Christian. Live like you're a Christian. Walk worthy of the calling which, with which you've received in Christ Jesus. So walk, walk, live like a Christian. Are, are you doing that? Are you, are you doing that? It's, you know, you know preach what Ali said. Young people at school, people know that you're a Christian. You walked in like a Christian, acting like a Christian. Calls them to, to put this into practice, the gospel, live out the gospel. And so one of the things he begins to do in chapter 4, and I'm, I'm getting over all this groundwork for what we're going to close out on, but one of the first things he says is when he, when he says to walk it, put it into practice, he goes right into the importance of church family. None of us, none of us have been called to live the Christian life by ourselves. Talks about the family, the church body, and that's and, and we all come together and we're very diverse and very different in so many ways. But we have this common Savior, the the, the gospel, and so we all come together. And that's why he says in chapter four, verse three, that we need to make every effort to keep to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So we all come together in the gospel as a church family. Some of you uh, still not real clear on that part because uh, there, there are many, many people in this church and other churches who, who still kind of think that the Christian life is just kind of independent. Or I just kind of live for Christ on my own, kind of do my own thing. I don't, I don't need anybody else and I can kind of do this on my own and, 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 and you just, that's, that's not what you see in the Bible. We're called into community, called into the body. And so we see that there, called together, put it into practice. And then, and then he talks about these walks, walking in the gospel. And in chapter 4, 5, walking in love, walking in light, walking in wisdom. Walking. It's an idea of living it out, living it out. And I especially love, if you have your Bible, look at Ephesians 5, I just... I just love this, this particular text, walk in love, walk in the gospel, walk in love, walk in light, walk in wisdom. Some of your Bibles say, I think the old King James says, walk circumspectly, and I like that too, Circum, it comes from circumference. As you live for Christ, be aware, be wise, be aware of your circumference and how God is at work around your life and how, what's going on in relationships, but notice these three, several things that he says here, walk in wisdom, circumspectly. Be wise, and then a couple things. Redeem the time. Redeem the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Because the days are evil. Redeem the time. Um, the, the older that you get, the more important time will be to you. And you'll begin to think more about the stewardship of time. Right? First Corinthians 4, it's required of us as Christians to be faithful, to be stewards, to be faithful. And one of those things that we're responsible for is time, stewardship of time. 
making the most of the time because the days are evil. And, and then he says, know his will. Well, understand what the will of the Lord is. How do we do that? Through, through the word, through the word, through the scriptures, through truth, the sword of the spirit, walking in truth, girded with truth. And then he says, and this, the person of the Holy Spirit. And notice what he says. This, I, I, I've heard people reference this verse as a, as a verse for uh, teaching on alcohol. And I guess it certainly applies, but Paul is not trying to all of a sudden just make a point about alcohol. He's making a point about the, the Holy Spirit. And he says what? Do not be drunk, intoxicated with alcohol, with wine. Rather, he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So why does he throw that little phrase in there about alcohol? Well, because the word alcohol or, or the word intoxicated or drunk comes from a, a Greek word that literally translates to be pickled. <laughs> to be pickled. That's what the word translates means. And you mean, you've heard me say this, talk about this before and I just all the time, but those tanners in the first century, they would take animal skins and they would soak them in vats with chemicals to make those skins pliable and useful. They were, they were pickled. And so that's, that's what Paul is saying. Don't be, so, don't be pickled with alcohol. Be, could, could be trained, literally could be said, it's to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It could say, be pickled with the Holy Spirit. Be soaked in the Spirit. Where, what, what does alcohol do? Alcohol controls, right? Alcohol controls you. Where you're, you you're not in control because have you ever tried to talk to someone when they were pickled? Try to reason with someone that way? Some people become, when they're intoxicated, become very angry, belligerent. Other people become very sad. And other people just, you, they're not in control. And the idea is Paul is saying, you and I as believers, we need to let the Holy Spirit control us influence us, take over. You remember on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit came and, and calling tongues of fire, speaking to all those things that happened in Acts 2? You remember the non-believers? You remember what they thought? They accused them of being drunk in the middle of the morning. Well, because the Spirit begins to control. And so he says that, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then, just love this as well, what are the characteristics of being filled with the Holy Spirit? This is not an exhaustive list, but there in Ephesians 5, one of the ways you, you can know if you're living a spirit-filled life, he says, you're speaking the word. Just speak the word. A person who's filled with the Holy Spirit is going to minister the word, speak the word, share the word with other people. And then what he said, you're going to worship. You're going to have a song, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts. And, and then he talks about being thankful. Thankful, always thankful, grateful for all that God is and all that God has done in my life. And then humility, submitting to one another out of reverence and awe and fear of the Lord. So characteristics of being filled with the Spirit, ministering the Word, uh, being worshipful, having a song, singing, having a melody in your heart where it just kind of comes out. And then being thankful and being humble, submitting to other people, relinquishing your rights for the benefits and the blessings of others, putting their interests and needs above your own. And then he gets into relationships. Marriage, family, slave, uh, slaves, 
slave masters, which can be employees, employers. So he's saying, be filled with the Spirit. Let these characteristics control you in your marriage, in family, in the workplace. And he closes with this and says to all of us, this is going to be a war. This is going to be a battle. To stay rooted in the gospel, living out the gospel, being filled with the Holy Spirit, relying upon the Holy Spirit to control relationships, marriage, husbands and wives and parents with their kids, kids with their parents, the workplace. It's going to be a war. It's going to be a war. It's going to be a battle. And I'll, I'll tell you, I don't believe that you and I can pull any of this off apart from the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives controlling us. Think about marriage, where the, where the Spirit begins to control you and move you. Instead of the flesh taking over, we need God's spirit. We need his strength. And Paul is saying this is going to be a war. This is going to be a battle. And so last week we, we looked at the first parts of Ephesians chapter 6 and, and um, everything he says there. And, and he says this is a war. And we need to understand uh, as Christians that we're in a war, that we're soldiers, Second. Uh, Timothy 2, 3, and 4, Paul writes and, and says, Timothy, as a soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ, be, be a good soldier, endure hardship. Endure hardship as a good soldier and don't allow yourself to get entangled in civilian worldly affairs. But stay faithful to the general if you will, the Savior, the, the Lord, as soldiers of Jesus. When, when I was a little boy, grew up, mom kept us in church, and they had a music department, and I remember singing all these little songs in church. Didn't did any of you ever learn the, that song, I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. Now, I did action, actions with it, right? I may never fly o'er the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. We do that stuff, you know. You know. That's, hey, that's, that's good theology, right? In the Lord's army. And, and so what does he say? We're, we're soldiers. We're in a battle. We're in a war. And so we need to, we looked at this last time, need to understand the world. There's a, a visible world and there's an invisible world. And most of us have no trouble uh, Believing them and operating in terms of the visible, the tangible, the physical, but the invisible world is just as real. And so we need to understand that world, the invisible, and we need to understand we have a real enemy who operates not only in invisible realms, described in the text in verse 12, principalities, powers, rulers, darkness, and this heavenly. We, we, we have a real enemy. And this is... Prior to Genesis, Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28 gives us and provides us a little 
insight and understanding to the origin of evil, the origin of the evil one. You remember that Satan is Lucifer. He's a highly intelligent, beautiful angel. He's in the presence of the throne of God, and he becomes dissatisfied with serving God and desires to usurp God's authority, and, and so he decides to rule, and as a result, he rebels against God, and God casts him from his presence, from heaven. Jesus in Luke 10, 18 says, I saw him, Satan, the sea one fall from heaven like lightning. Hebrews 12 talks about a third of the angels, these demons falling. Revelation 9 about these stars, and so these that have fallen from heaven, the beast thrown out. And so what we have is a real enemy. We, we have a real enemy, an adversary, the devil, Satan, Lucifer, Bel, Belzebub, all these terms that the Bible uses, and he's very real and has demonic forces, and those are described here, and they're working against us. Jesus said he's a liar, the father of all lies. He deceives, he distorts, he accuses Seeks to destroy. First Peter 5, he's like a roaring lion on the prowl, seeking that person that he might devour. And Christians, Christians who are not on guard, churches that are not on guard, he seeks to devour and to destroy. And he deceives and distorts the word and causes us to doubt God's word and to, to deny God's word. That was his strategy in Genesis with and, and think about how easily Adam fell and Eve. So we have this world, this enemy, and we need to be soldiers in his army. And, and so how do, how, what do we do? Look at verse 10. He says, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might. Um, our strength comes from him. strength from when, when we, we're no match for the enemy apart from the strength that we find in the Lord, the strength given to us through the person of the Holy Spirit. Our strength is in him. Be strong in the Lord. Then he says, take up the armor of God, all of the armor of God, the, the, the helmet of salvation, the, 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 having your loins girded with truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and and uh, all of those, take up the armor of God and pick up your weapons, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the shield of faith. We looked at those last week. Stand your ground. Stand your ground. Not, not giving away anything, any ground. And finally, he calls us at the end of this text, which is where I want to finish this morning, he calls us to pray. He calls us to pray. He, you want to know where your strength comes from in the Lord? It comes from spending time with him in prayer. And he calls us to do that. That's, that's, listen, prayer is not spiritual armor. It's not listed as armor. Prayer is the activity. Prayer is where soldiers go forth to engage in battle. It's, it's kind of like the front line. And so he calls us to pray. And, and I would just preface this couple of thoughts on prayer um, Think about the mystery, the prayer, necessity of prayer, activity of prayer. There is a mystery to prayer that, that I, 
I still, I don't, I don't fully grasp. Um, someone told me a long time ago that one of the marks of spiritual maturity is, is to accept the mysteries that we, of God and the mysteries, some of the mysteries of his word. And I, I don't fully understand prayer. On the one hand, we have a sovereign God who is in control of all things and is moving everything according to his plans and his purposes. And you see that all the way through the Bible, Genesis through Revelation. He's in control of all things. And on the other hand, you see all kinds of passages of Scripture and examples when the people of God begin to pray, God moves in extraordinary ways. I think about 2 Chronicles 7. If my, if my people do this, then I will do that. And so there's a mystery there. There's a, a biblical, I think, a healthy tension there. There's a mystery to prayer and how God works. But I, he, he calls us as his people to pray. And there's all, all matter promises regarding him moving in extraordinary ways in prayer. And then there's a necessity of prayer. We called to pray, the necessity of prayer. And then notice here, Four things that Paul says about prayer in verse 18. He says, pray always. Pray always. Well, what does that mean to pray always? Well, I think it, there's a couple of things. One is that uh, there, there certainly is uh, this discipline of prayer where we uh, establish times, regular times, where we get alone with God. Prayer closet prayer room, quiet place, quiet time where we get along with God and get his word and perhaps a notebook, a journal. We just get along with God and spend time with his, in his word and we pray and there's communion there. And so those, those disciplined times, I, I uh, get along with him by myself and get my Bible and read it. And I have a prayer journal that I use on most days. And in that journal, there's an outline that I keep. An outline. And in that outline, there are people and things that I'm praying for that mean the most to me. My family. Our four kids. Sons-in-laws grandchild and I pray over them every day concerned about them because of this enemy who would love to destroy our kids and our grandkids and so many bathe them in prayer and as I read scripture and as I have you ever, you start to pray for people and sometimes you don't know what to pray? And, and so as I read the scripture, and if, I, if God shows me something from his word that I can apply on how to pray for them, and, and, I, and I guess what, on top of that outline, guess who's at the very top? <laughs> me. I had a lady one time said, asked me if it was wrong to pray for herself. She said, that seems kind of selfish that I prayed for myself. I said, well, Jesus did. And if Jesus did, and I, I think we're probably the ones who need it the most. So I'm there, family's there, church, ministry, people, pray, pray over those things, take notes. Just, I had a lady 
One time her name was Mary Ann in a previous church, and she had an unsaved daughter. She was praying for, and, and she said, Pastor Charlie, I don't, I don't always know how to pray for. And, and I didn't come up with this. I said, well, the, the scriptures will guide you. God will speak to you through his word on knowing how to pray for people. And I'm going to tell you what she did. She came back. This was some few months later. And if you have your Bible, look, at, look over in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. See that? Ephesians 1, verse 15? It's a, it's a prayer. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love for the, do not cease to give thanks for you. And then he, from verse 15 through verse 23, there's a prayer. The apostle Paul, as he prays for the Ephesians. You see that? Now go with me to Ephesians 3, verse 14. There's another prayer. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, remove the whole family in heaven and earth, his name, that he would grant you according to his riches and his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. There's another prayer. And she came back in. Actually, she was in the church office, and, and I saw her, and she came through. She said, do you have a minute? I said, well, sure. She came in. She had memorized Ephesians 1, 15 through that verse in Ephesians, she had memorized those prayers. And she said, Pastor Charlie, I pray that over those two prayers over my daughter every day. I put her name and I just apply those prayers to her life every day. Praying, praying. We're to pray always, specifically for people, but, but I also think to pray always, uh, there, it also, there's, there's more than just this time. It's also, I think, conveys an attitude, a mindset of prayer. 2 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. How do you do that? Does God want us to be holed up in a room somewhere where we're just praying? That's, no, it's to pray always. It's discipline times in prayer, but also it's just having a mindset of prayer where we're in communion with God all day. You wake up in the morning, your mind is on the Lord, get it set on the Lord. And you just talk to him all day and listen for his voice all day and commune with him, just praying without ceasing. Come into a situation. We, Minnie and I drive along. She's done this for years. She'll see an ambulance. And she just prays over whatever's going on for that person in the ambulance. And just, just all kinds of things. We're just communing with the Lord all day. And then he, so he says, pray always. Why? Because the battle never stops. And so we're constantly as a church to be in prayer as God's people. We're in a war. And then he says, pray with all prayer, all prayer, all prayer. What is that? Did any of you learn that little acrostic acts, A-C-T-S? What's all prayer? Adoration, A. Confession, repentance, confession. Think about Psalm 51. We're, thanksgiving, supplication. So we're just in a mindset of prayer, praying all forms of prayer, various prayer, all kinds of prayer. Where sometimes we just, you know, you, you just worship in the Lord, maybe listen to some music. You just, you just start a, giving adoration to God, just worshiping him, um, Honor and bringing glory, just just praising the Lord and adoration, and then sometimes confession. Just you have you have thoughts that are sinful, right? Just was reading recently in Jeremiah eighteen: hearts deceitful, wicked. Who can understand? So confession, just repentance, and 
Thanksgiving, just, just sometimes just stopping in prayer and, and giving God thanks. Supplications, petition, praying for others. So praying always with all prayer and then with all perseverance. How, how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you would just say that's, that's tough, persevering in prayer? It's, it's been tough in my life to persevere, persevere in prayer. And sometimes we pray and we pray and pray for long, long periods of time before it seems like we, we get the answers that we know are according to his will. By the way, we always need to want to pray according to his will, according to scripture. 1 John 5, 14 says, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will. And so we, we want to pray according to scripture. When I was a little boy and my mom made my brother and I and sister kept us in church. My dad never went to church. And I remember as a little kid praying for my dad. And I think it started out just praying my dad would go to church. And, and then, I, you know, I just have these, I'm, all kinds of things I used to remember praying for my dad. And I prayed for my dad my entire life. And then I've shared this story with you. Some of you know, after he retired, we, we grew up in Michigan. He retired for General Motors. And he and my mother went through a divorce. And, and then he remarried and moved to South Carolina. Prayed for my dad my entire life. Didn't seem like anything ever changed. And he was in a Mexican restaurant in, in uh, a, town, a, little, a little town where he lived, South Carolina, outside of York. And uh, there was a guy in there, engaged him in a conversation and asked him about his relationship with Christ. I don't know what all entailed in that conversation. A week later, that man showed up on my dad's door. Little, little town. Come find out he was a pastor of First Baptist Church. And he looked up, found out where my dad lived, went into his house and just said, hey, Chuck. He said, I, wanted to, I just want to come back and see you. And prayed with my dad again, shared the gospel with him, invited him to church, and before my dad died, the last 15 years of his life, he was in church. And for the first time in my life, I started going to church, I heard my dad say, I love you. I always knew he loved me, he just, he wasn't, he wasn't the kind of guy that ever says that. And he would call me and say, hey, how are you doing? Never, he never called before. I was always the one calling, but he'd call, how are you doing? Just been thinking about you. We'd pray on the phone. We prayed for him for years and years. And this persistence of prayer. You remember Luke, Luke 18, Luke 11, Jesus gives a couple of stories, parables, where there was a widow. She just kept going to this unjust judge, and she just stayed after him, badgered him, badgered him, stayed after him. Finally, that unjust judge intervened, and then friend at midnight, Luke 18, where the friend had bread, didn't have any bread, went to another friend. It was in the middle of the night, just kept knocking, knocking at the door. And the, so the friend was reluctant, finally got up and gave his friend bread. Jesus is teaching about importunity, persistence in prayer. And the point is not that God is reluctant. No, to the contrary, Jesus is using contrast and saying, how much more, how much more does our Father in heaven hear prayer? But he says men ought to pray always and not faint. So just, just the challenge of persevering in prayer. And then finally he says pray for all the saints. Pray, 
pray always with all prayer, with all perseverance, and pray for all the saints. And he, I love this at the end of that where Paul says, and hey, don't forget me. Pray for me in all of this. And he was, he was an older, older man at this time, but he was still in the battle. He was still engaged. Pray for me that God would continue to open doors for me. What's God saying to you today? What's he saying to you? I want you to be strong in him. To be strong in the Lord. Your strength comes from abiding in him. Abiding in his word. Spending time with him in prayer. Praying. Praying as the Holy Spirit bears witness with us and leads us. I, I love that verse, Romans 8, 26. There's times when we don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes with us, groans and sighs, which cannot be better. That's not talking about the Spirit groaning, the Spirit sign. He's talking about you and I as believers with groans and sighs. Have, have you ever been to a, a place, have been through something in your life where you, you just couldn't pray? You just just didn't have the words, and so you just kind of groan before the Lord with sighs and groanings and know that God knows your heart. Maybe some crisis, some burden, some grief or something you've been through is so enormous, so weight that you just, and the Spirit intercedes for us. There's groans inside where we just, maybe all we could just say is just God, just, just God, God. You've been there. Thankful for the, for the person, the work of the Holy Spirit. I, I want to urge you. I want to urge you to be strong in the Lord. Be, to be solid in the gospel. To have that helmet fixed, strapped down. And be strong in, in the gospel. Strong in your salvation. And take up this armor and have good character and be nourished from the word and pray. Spend time with God in prayer. Now, it's really, this, this, is, this war, this is all foundational for us as a church. This is foundational stuff for us as a church. I'm going to invite the musicians to come. and We're going to have an invitation. If you're here and you just like to just come and kneel and just Talk to the Lord, cry out to the Lord. You can come, you can kneel where you are, stand just. But this is a time for us just to respond. Maybe, maybe you'd like to come with someone else and to pray for somebody. There, you have a burden for someone, or there might be someone here that you know is going through a, a, a trial, a fiery ordeal, and Satan's at work, and you just feel led to, to go and say somebody and just say, I want to pray with you. I just want to pray. The main thing is to be obedient and sensitive to however God's Spirit would lead us during these, these closing moments of invitation. And I, and I want to also say this. If, if you're here and that helmet of salvation is not locked down, it's not fixed, I'll be here. If you come and you say, Brother Charlie, I'm not sure I'm a Christian or I know God's speaking to me today, the Spirit's bearing, convicting me and 
and I want to surrender and give my life to Christ, hey, I'll meet you right here. So let's stand together and let's just respond however God might be speaking, leading us this morning.